love for us, I get a little ADD. I get a little distracted. And all of a sudden, I see, see God for who he is, and I see God for what he's doing, but all of a sudden, my attention kind of turns to Peter. Because I'm reading through the Gospels, there's all this talk about Peter. And the reality is, is I love Peter. Like, Peter is probably by far my favorite Bible character because I relate to him the most, right? I think Paul's awesome, okay? I think Paul's awesome. But I wouldn't want to have a cup of coffee with him. Like, I, I would be intimidated that I would say the wrong thing, right? And Paul would be like, well, actually. And then I'd get a letter from him. And then I'd have to go to all the churches and share the letter I got from him and just be embarrassed, right? And so I'm like, Peter's my guy. Like, I'd go out fishing with Peter, and I think that would be an awesome experience. And I just want to share with you a couple things that just I, I saw about Peter, and I think is also true about you and me. The first one is this, is Peter had an incredible relationship with Jesus. Incredible. There is a difference between knowing something about someone and knowing someone. You know what I'm talking about? You can go on Wikipedia and learn some stuff. But there's this other realm of knowing, right? Where you know how that person's going to finish their sentence. When they're getting dressed in the morning, you know what kind of jeans they're going to put on. You know how they'll respond. You'll know how they'll react. You know them. And so you can't read about that. That's not information. That's not just something you can learn from conversation with other people about that person. That's about spending time that you know them, right? The biblical word for that is intimacy. And that Peter knew Jesus so well. And as I'm reading through the Gospels, I'm just, I'm just taken back by the relationship that these two have. And here, here's just a couple things that, that I thought was really interesting that, that I want to point out. It is one of the things that's really fascinating is Jesus gives Peter the name Peter, right? His name before that was Simon. And, and in, in Jesus' first interaction, here, here's what you have to know. Peter's not even a disciple yet. He hasn't even been called yet. And Jesus goes, from now on, your name is Cephas, or Peter. And now that would kind of blow my mind a little bit, right? If I met somebody for the first time, they're like, Haha, I'm renaming you. I'm like, who do you think you are renaming me? You've got to talk to my mama. She picked that name, right? And Jesus meets Peter for the first time and says, I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to give you a new identity. Because of this relationship, I'm going to give a new direction to your life, and it just makes sense to give you a new name so you can head in that new direction. Now, here's one of the things that's really fascinating. You'll hear people say in the church world and Christian world all the time that it's wrong to have favorites, right? Well, Jesus had favorites. I'm just telling you, Jesus had favorites. You go, I don't think that's true. Read your Bible. And you say, I don't like it. Well, I didn't write the Bible. It's in there. But here's the deal. Peter was one of Jesus' favorite disciples. And you go, well, how do you know that? Jesus is almost, or excuse me, Peter is almost always named as the first disciple. And not in like, who was the first one called? But when they list the disciples, it's always Peter, and, 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 and. Peter's always the top list. In fact, sometimes in scriptures, it just says Peter and those with him. Like, how'd you like to be those other guys? Jesus, there's 11 more. Like, you know, James is wondering, when, do, when is it James and the others, right? Some of the guys you never hear about are like, Jesus, what did we do? Like, what... What did I do wrong? Because it's always Peter and the guys. That's all throughout Scripture. Peter's and those with him. And I don't know how you'd feel. I'd get a little bit mad if I'm always just named as a tag-along to that guy. But it's always Peter. In fact, it seems as though that, that Peter's the one that always asks Jesus questions. Like somewhere they took an unofficial vote and said the things we're embarrassed or afraid to ask Jesus. You know who we can get to do that? Peter. And I don't think that was just because Peter was bold enough to do it. I think it was like, hey... He likes you more than us. There seems to be a relationship there we don't have. I think Jesus might hit me if I say it, but Peter, if you ask. And, and, and so they would always send Peter. Peter's always speak, speaking up to Jesus. Right? When, when Jesus speaks to the rich young ruler and says, here, if you really want to be saved, give all your possessions away. Give them to the poor and then come follow me. And we know the rich young ruler walks away from Jesus because he can't do that because he loves his stuff. So he would rather keep his stuff than following Jesus. And Peter's like, <clears throat> Jesus, can you come here real quick? 
just real quick. I got, me and the guys were talking. I want to tell you something real quick. Like, we, we've given away everything. Like, we got nothing. Like, I walked away from the family business, so I just want to make sure we're good, right? And here's Peter's questions. Who can be saved? Like, I, I'm, just, I'm just looking for a little reassurance here because, like, I, I, I do have a little money in a savings account. So I'm just, I want to make sure I'm in because I still own some boats, and I just want, like, are we good? And the rest of the guys are like, go ahead, Peter. You, you keep having that conversation, and we'll listen. And Peter's the guy that always comes to Jesus with questions the other guys are afraid to ask. Like, here's one of the coolest things. This is kind of one of the things that sparked my interest, right? So Jesus is falsely tried. He's executed on the cross. And then he's dead and buried for three days. And scripture tells us in Mark, Mark chapter 16, that Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James go to see the tomb. They go to visit the gravesite of Jesus. And watch this. This just blows me away. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Because this is an angel, okay? This isn't a little boy wearing his, like, Labor Day attire, okay? This is an angel of the Lord. And so they're a little freaked out. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. Look at the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples, and, what's the word? Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now that completely blows my mind. The angels show up, and the women go to the tomb to visit Jesus. The angels like, tell the disciples, but make sure Peter knows. Like, maybe tell him first. Like, Andrew, yeah, he should know. But definitely Peter. And you go, why? Well, there must have been something about that relationship. There must have been something that was intimate. There must have been something real. It's kind of like in an emergency. There's people that you call, and there's people that you will allow to find out the other way, right? You call mom first, and you just make a Facebook update later to other people. Or you let mom make the rest of the calls. When it comes to the resurrection, the angel shows up and goes, you got to get to Peter. you got to get to Peter. And I think it's because there was such a tight relationship. I think there was some stuff going on that Peter loved Jesus so much. And I think Jesus responded to Peter's love for him. I think Jesus responded to Peter's faith. In fact, one of the things that's really interesting is because of Peter's relationship with Jesus, he got to see some stuff. Like because of Peter's relationship with Jesus, Peter experienced things that other people did not experience. And I would just tell you that from Peter's life, I'm convinced that there were people who were around Jesus all the time, and there were people who were with Jesus. And the people who were with Jesus experienced things that the people who were around Jesus never experienced. Like I told you that Jesus has some favorites, and he does. We see this all throughout Scripture. And in fact, there's some stuff that Peter experienced that the other guys just heard about. They didn't even experience. Like one of my favorites, one of my absolute favorites, is Peter is still kind of trying to make up his mind about who Jesus is, right? And so Jesus says, take me fishing. Gets on Peter's boat. And he tells Peter, hey, cast your net over there. And Peter goes, listen, this is Fisherman 101, Jesus. Nobody casts their nets there because there's no fish there. Like see how all the, all the other boats are out that way? Because that's where the fish are. And Jesus is like, listen, who do you think I am? Do you believe in me? Cast your nuts there. And you kind of get the idea, like, I, I don't know, I just kind of impose this. This is in the Adam Reardon version of the Bible. That Peter throws the nuts over with an eye roll on one of these, like, ugh, here we go. And he's just thinking, another day, boring day of fishing, you know? And all of a sudden he throws the net out, and there's so many fish in the net that the boat begins to sink, right? The, the boat's, like, going to pull over. And Peter totally freaks out, and he jumps out of the boat because he believes Jesus is God. He's like, no one's ever caught a fish there. And it's not that they moved. It's that you're Jesus. And so he's like, the holy one's in my boat. I'm going to jump out. I don't even know what to do. Just put me in the net with the fish. Like the other guys on the shore. And could you imagine, just for a second, could you imagine, like, watching Jesus and Peter fish, and all of a sudden Peter jumps out of the boat, and you're thinking, what happened? Like, and can he swim? I mean, you're kind of thinking that, right? I mean, Peter experienced that stuff, which is so beautiful later, right? Because later, Jesus is performing some miracles, 
and the crowds begin to gather around them. And Jesus tells the disciples, hey, get on a boat and go out in front of me. Like, I'll meet you later. And Jesus goes up on the hillside and he prays and he spends time with his father, which Jesus does all the time. And Jesus decides, hey, I'm going to meet the disciples. The problem is, is they're still out in the middle of the lake. And so, like, rather than chartering a boat, Jesus decides, like, I'm God. Sovereign, powerful. I I don't have to rent a boat. It's kind of late at night. I'll just walk on water because of my sovereignty, the water does whatever I tell it to do. And so if the water needs to act like concrete, the water can act like concrete, and I can walk on it. So Jesus takes the fastest route, which is a straight line, and he just starts walking upon the water, right? The disciples are freaking out. They think they're seeing a ghost. And they start to yell, and they're like, oh, it's Jesus. Like Jesus walking on water. And for whatever reason, Peter initiates this thing, and he goes, hey, Jesus, if it's really you, tell me to get out of the boat. And the other guys are going, what's up with you and getting out of the boat when Jesus is around? Why does this keep happening to you? And Jesus says, listen, if you, if you believe in me, come out. Come out on the water. And Peter starts to walk on the water. Now, here's the thing. Here's what he knows as a fisherman, right? You don't ever get out on the boat. Like, that, that's like the early days of fishing. Like, in the boat is safe, out of the boat, not so safe, right? So Peter steps out of the boat, starts walking on water, takes his eyes off of Jesus, starts to become afraid, starts to sink in the water. Jesus saves him, puts him back in the boat. Now, the disciples, the other 11, experienced Peter walking on the water. But Peter's the only one that experienced what it was like to step out on the water. See, Jesus, Jesus and Peter, that relationship was significant. And Peter experienced some stuff the other guys didn't experience. One of my favorites is Rome has taken over Jerusalem and has started to imply that people have to pay taxes. And one of the taxes you have to pay is temple tax. So to go to church, you've got to pay tax on that. And so the, the local temple leaders are going, hey, you know who hasn't paid taxes? Jesus and his disciples. Now here's what's really interesting. The temple leader goes, I'll go talk to Peter. Why? Because there's something significant about that relationship. That's not, that's not something you're going to talk to Andrew about. Talk to Peter about that. So Peter starts to freak out a little bit, and he goes to Jesus, and he goes, Jesus, they need money. Like, they want money from you, and they want money from me, and we don't have any money. How am I going to get the money? And Jesus says, Peter, I just want you to go fishing. Peter's like, man, what? I don't think I can, make, I don't think I can catch that much fish. And Jesus says, go cast your nets. You'll catch a fish. And in its mouth will be the exact amount of money we need for the tax. Enough for me and enough for you. And I think once again, like with an eye roll and a huff, Peter's like, been fishing a long time. Caught all kinds of fish. Never caught the money fish. You never caught a fish with money in its mouth. It's never happened before. Peter goes out and casts his net. And sure enough, he brings in a fish. And in the fish's mouth are two coins. Enough to cover the temple tax. See, Peter got to experience things because of his relationship with Jesus. I told you that Jesus played favorites, and all throughout the Gospels we see that of the 12, there's something significant about Jesus' relationship with Peter. There's also something significant about his relationship with Peter, James, and John. Jesus does all kinds of things, and he only allows Peter, James, and John to come. And I, I don't know exactly why. He's Jesus, and so he made that decision. And there's some really significant things, like when Jesus goes up on, on the mount, and we call it the Mount of Transfiguration in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 5, that Jesus is revealing his glory, revealing that he's God, and both Moses and Elijah show up and, and proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah, and the disciples are, are kind of freaking out, the three that are there, because like, the issue is Moses and Elijah have been dead for a really long time. But when two of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament show up and claim, hey, this guy's the one, we worship him, he's the one that we've been talking about, that's a big deal. And the reason we call it transfiguration is because the disciples for the first time see Jesus' glory. To the point that they go, hey, it's kind of like when Moses went up on the mountain, he came down glowing. There's something holy, there's something glorious, there's something magnificent that we didn't see before about Jesus. And one of the things I love is Peter completely misses the point. There's an instance where a Roman guard comes up to Jesus. His name's Jairus, and his daughter is ill. And Jesus said that he'll go heal the daughter, but he says, Peter, James, and John, you come with me. And those were the only three guys that got to witness Jesus tell Jairus' daughter, 
he rolls up in the house and he goes, why are you afraid? She's not dead. She's just sleeping. And like, if you're a parent, you're like, no, no, no. They're sleeping and there's dead. She's dead. And Jesus says, well, not, not when I get involved. She's just sleeping. And Jesus tells the little girl, he doesn't even heal her. He just says, get up. Just wake up. The little girl wakes up. Peter, James, and John. In fact, one of the things about Holy Week then is when Jesus goes to the garden to pray. Hey, Peter, James, John, come pray with me. Come spend time with me. And Jesus knows what's going to happen. Jesus knows that in the garden he'll be arrested. And he says, hey, I want these three guys to come with me. I want you to pray with me. I want you to be on guard with me. There's something significant about what's happening here. So I'm inviting you to participate in the redemptive story. And like those guys don't really even last an hour praying. And one of the things that I love, and like I said, I'm, I'm ADD, is they come to arrest Jesus, and Peter decides, like, I'm going to pull a sword. And he hacks off a guy's ear, which is awesome. Because I think Peter wasn't aiming for the ear. I think he was aiming between the eyes. I think he just missed. Like, who takes off an ear, right? I'll get you. I think he was taken off a head and missed. And, like, here's Jesus, right? This is beautiful. Here's Jesus, who knows what's going to happen, knows where the guard's taking him, heals the guard. Like, puts the dude's ear back on. Does what Vincent Van Gogh cannot do. Puts his ear back on, right? And then, Jesus knows what's ahead of him. And he's like, time out. Just time I, I, Listen, I know we got to get to the false trial. I, we're going to go there, but time out. He's like, Peter, i got to tell you something. Come here, come here, come here. If you live by the sword, you die by the sword. That's what I love about Jesus. He always tells the truth. Even in the final moments of his life, he's like, time out. i got to do something quick. Hey, Peter, stop hitting people. We've talked about this. Stop hitting people with your sword. It's like conversations I have with my sons. Stop hitting people with swords. They don't like it. And if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. And he tells the guards, okay, you can take me. There's something so significant about that relationship that Peter had such a significant relationship with Jesus that allowed him to participate in things and see things that the people who were just around Jesus never got to experience. Because there's a difference of being around Jesus, and there's a difference of knowing Jesus. What I think is Peter knew Jesus so well that Jesus led him to places and experiences that other people never got to see, never got to experience. And maybe one of the reasons I love the relationship between Jesus and Peter so much is because Peter's life and his interaction with Jesus reveal the character of God to me. Like, I look at Peter, he's brash. He constantly talks first and acts first and then thinks later. Kind of like that. Peter is a man's man. He's a fisherman. He doesn't have special education. He doesn't have special training. He's enthusiastic. Jesus says, let me wash your feet. And Peter says, no, 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 no. Like, I know who you are. You shouldn't wash my feet. And Jesus says, I need to do this. Peter goes, then all of me, head to toe. And Jesus is like, I just wanted the feet. He's like, no, no, all of me. He goes, we'll just focus here. And what I love is I read about Peter's life and his interaction with Jesus is I see a holy, perfect, loving God that would put up with, transform and humor and use a guy like Peter. And not only would he invite him in to be a disciple, but that he would use him incredibly. That he would take him places that he only took the other three. That he'd use an old salty fisherman who always puts his foot in his mouth and makes lots of mistakes and never really gets it figured out. And Jesus says when we list the disciples, he goes first. Peter and the others. Your name's no longer Simon. Your name is now Peter. And it reveals that we have a God who loves us. We have a God who cares for us. A God who created us and gave us gifts and strengths and weaknesses and accepts us as who we are, for, for where we are. And I just look at Peter's life and I go, if God can transform, if God can save, if God could love, if God would put up with a guy like Peter, then maybe there's some hope for me. 
that maybe God could love me and maybe God could use me and maybe God would transform my life. Because Peter didn't get it all figured out for a really long time. See, there's these moments in scriptures where Peter constantly misses the point of what Jesus is saying. In fact, there's this one point in Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 21, where Jesus is telling people that his death is coming. He's revealing to his disciples, one day I will die for you. I will take your sins to the cross with me. And when I die, your sins die. And this is what happens. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and he must suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And he will be killed. And on the third day, he will be raised. And Peter took him, being Jesus aside, and began to rebuke him. Okay? Like, Peter's the only dude that would rebuke Jesus. Like, Jesus, we got to talk. You're missing the point. This is what Peter says to him. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Peter's like, I- I'll never let you go to the cross. He's completely missing the point. He's like, this is God's will. The will is for me to die for you. I am the lamb that will be slain for you. And Peter goes, I'll prevent it. I'll get in the way of it. I won't allow it to happen. This is a bad day, by the way, because Jesus turns to Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Can you imagine that conversation? Peter goes back to the disciples. How did your talk with Jesus go? (laughs) He called me Satan. He rebuked me. He told me to get behind him. He called me a hindrance. See, Peter missed it all the time. Jesus saying, don't you get who I am? Don't you get? And Peter's like, I won't allow it to happen. And Jesus takes such a strong reaction because he goes, listen, no, no, no. No, no, no. This is the will of God. For you to say that it won't happen, that comes from the enemy. Like, don't stand in the way of the work of God. Don't stand in the way of the will of God. This has to happen because I love you. This has to happen so your sins can be forgiven. I have to suffer. I have to die. I am the lamb who will be slain for you. See, Peter gets that from Jesus. He's rebuked by him. And maybe one of the most tender moments in Peter's life is that at the final dinner Jesus has in the upper room with the disciples, he he begins to tell them what will happen next. And he says, one of you, one of you is going to deny me. And like everybody at that point is like, (coughs) Judas, what, who, who? Peter stands up and goes, not me, Lord. Uh-uh. I'm good. Rock solid. I'm Peter. I would never deny you. And then as Jesus is being tried, the equivalent of a junior high girl, hey, Peter, aren't you with him? Aren't you one of his disciples? Not me. I don't know that man. Peter gets asked again, aren't you, aren't you one of those, aren't you from Nazareth, the hometown? Like, aren't you with him? Nope, not me. Surely you're confusing me with another fisherman. Finally, he gets asked a third time and he curses. He swears by it. He uses Jesus' name in a way he shouldn't to make a point of, surely I'm not with that man. The scripture says that Jesus kind of looks his way. The rooster crows and Peter goes, it was me. It was me. Jesus said someone would deny him. I stood up like a fool and said it would never be me, and it's me. And then after the resurrection, Jesus appears to the disciples, but they don't quite recognize him. They begin to have breakfast with him, and all of a sudden it clicks like, this is Jesus. Jesus, he's alive. And like so many other times in the Gospels, Jesus takes Peter aside and goes, come here, we've got to talk. John chapter 21, starting in verse 15, gives us the account of this. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, now this is beautiful, I've got to camp out for this a second. Remember, the first time Jesus meets Peter, he tells him, hey, your name was Simon, but now it's Peter, right? Whenever Peter messes up, Jesus calls him Simon or Simon Peter. It's the equivalent of when your kids mess up, use their middle names, right? And like, even as an adult, if your parents use your middle name, it drives you crazy, doesn't it? You feel like a junior high kid again. Like, I'm 30 
three years old, my mom calls me and she's like, Adam Troy. And I'm like, yes, mama, what I do? You know, it just, it just, I don't know. It's just, it's weird. Jesus has this experience and every time this happens, he goes, Simon, or Simon Peter, or Peter knows, like, why are you, you gave me the name Peter. Why are you using the old name? Because you're kind of acting like the way you were before. So Simon Peter. Now watch this. Simon, son of John. Peter's using his old credentials. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, know that I love you. Jesus replies, feed my lambs. He said to him to a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love him. And Jesus said to him, tend to my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said it to him a third time, do you love me? Peter's like, how how many times are you going to ask me, Lord? You know that I love you. Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus replies to Peter, and Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. These he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. What a beautiful moment. Because if you're anything like me, you've blown it before. If you're anything like me, you've messed up. If you're anything like me, you've walked with Jesus and you've still stepped in the potholes. And everything, every time we run into that, we have this idea, will Jesus still love me? Will Jesus still forgive me? Am I good enough? And I read these words that Jesus says to Peter, and I go, there's, there's hope. Our God who is a God that forgives us and forgives us and forgives us and forgives us. And then so often we have this picture of God that like when we sin, he, he, he like becomes this mean person who's casting this glare at us and pointing at us. And we see when Peter sins, Jesus comes to him and goes, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And like if you read that, there's no condemnation, is there? He just wants to know, do you love me? And see, every time Jesus says yes, it's an act of forgiveness. Yes, Lord. Then do what I called you to do. Tend to my lambs. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then feed my sheep, because that's what I called you to do. Okay? Do you love me? Jesus, how many times are you going to ask? You know everything. You know that I love you. But feed my sheep and follow me. And see, one of the things I love about that is I don't think Peter ever questioned again where he stood with Jesus. Do you? I think that's such a tender and powerful moment. And and Peter kind of has this experience. In fact, one of the things that's powerful then is Peter's confession of Christ. Now this happens before the crucifixion. This happens before the resurrection. But Jesus is asking questions, and and there's these things of who is Jesus? Who is he really? Who do people think he is? Matthew chapter 16, 13. It says that Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Okay, I don't care what they say. Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's who you are. You're the Messiah. You're Jesus, the Son of God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you that you are Peter, And on this rock, the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's powerful. Jesus goes, you think something can stop my church? Jesus goes, no, because I stand in the way. He goes, the rock isn't that you're believers. The rock isn't that you've read your Bible. Jesus is the rock. He says, the reason the church is going to be okay is because I said it'll be okay. 
and by my power and by my might and by my personality, by my character, by the fact that I am Jesus who will go to the cross and die for your sin and raise again, not even the gates of hell can stand against the church because she's my bride, she's my idea, she's my people, I'm with her or for her, whoever's against her, it doesn't matter because she's mine. Peter went home and go, <laughs> had a pretty good day today. And Jesus asked the question, I got it right. Woohoo! And that Peter kind of had these moments with Jesus. As I look at Peter's life and his interaction with Jesus, it motivates me. It motivates me to go all in for Jesus. It motivates me to take risks, even though I don't know what's going to happen. It, it motivates me to be so excited about Jesus that I could really care less what anybody else thinks. It reassures me that it's okay to follow Jesus and sometimes to jump in without knowing all the details. That I would rather look like an idiot following Jesus than a smart person that's on the fence. One of the things that Peter reminds me is discipleship. The process of following Jesus and becoming more like him is a process, not a class. Peter spent three years with Jesus and still didn't have it all figured out. Jesus spent three years teaching Peter, rebuking Peter, correcting Peter, revealing truth to Peter, having meals with Peter. And even his resurrection, Peter's going, what do we do now? What's going to happen next? Jesus, you got you, you to give it, like, we're, we're lost here. It reminds me that sometimes that's okay. That following Jesus is more about the journey. It's more about saying yes to him today and picking up where I left off tomorrow than it is trying to undo what I did yesterday. And Peter reminds me that even after three years with Jesus, he didn't have it all figured out. And sometimes we're, we think we're supposed to get into a church and have it all figured out in a year. And I'm like, but he was with Jesus. Dude jumped out of the boat on more than one occasion for Jesus and still didn't have it all figured out. That gives me hope. It gives me hope that God's not done with me yet. I hope that gives you hope that God's not done with you yet. I hope that it gives you faith that even though you're not where you want to be, that God wants to take you to where he wants you to be. And the discipleship is messy. That it's not just all about living on the mountaintop and reading all the new books and listening to the coolest podcasts. Sometimes you've got to fail because in that moment, Jesus wants to teach you something. Sometimes you have to suffer. Sometimes you have to miss the point. Sometimes you have to make the mistake. Sometimes you've got to have the war scars so Jesus can continue to make you into who he wants you to be and lead you where he wants you to go. See, sometimes we think as Christians, I've got to get my life all together and that makes me spiritual. You look at Peter and go, he never had it together. Never. Even as a leader in the church, Paul's like, here's where you're blowing it. Knock it off. And Peter writes back, I think Paul's a hard teacher to understand. Take that. I'm like, yeah, listen, I would have much rather listened to Peter than Paul. I still have a headache from figuring out Galatians. And it gives me hope. It increases my faith. It caused me to love Jesus more because I see the character of God in Peter's life. And I thought about Peter's life, I began to think about what an incredible journey. I mean, that, that God could take a, a salty fisherman and transform him into a guy who would write scriptures that we now call the inspired word of God. A guy who leads us to Jesus, who encourages us and corrects us. A guy who started churches and led the charge. That we're a part of the lineage of these guys. Because of Peter and because of Paul, because of the disciples, we're here. We can have faith. We can be in a church. We can understand who God is. One of the things I began to think about is every journey has a first step. Like Sometimes we get lost in the journey because we go, look how far. And I began to just, in my own time, I want to go back to what was Peter's first step on his journey? Because one of the core values of Meadowland Church is found people find people. We believe 
that God's people are called by God to spread the gospel. The vision of Meadowland Church is is to see lives changed by Jesus and disciples made, which is just like a a summary of the Great Commission where Jesus tells his people, go. Well, where do you want me to go? Into all the world. And see, that's not just up to church staff. That's just not up to pastors. That's up to anybody who's been saved by Jesus. You begin to think, well, what was Peter's first step? Because what an incredible journey, and every journey begins with a first step. And so I want to go all the way back to the beginning. And what happened in Peter's life? What, what led him to Jesus? What pushed him over that line of decision that he took a step for Jesus that then we see laid out in all of Scripture and is an inspiration to us? John chapter 1, verse 35. Now the next day, John was staying with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist, who's an awesome guy. The only issue with John is he probably smelled bad. You know, he wore little camel's clothing. And you would never want to have lunch with John because he serves locust and honey. And I'm sure it's the best locust and honey you've ever had. I'm just not interested, right? I just, bugs not on my menu. Staying with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by. He said, behold, the Lamb of God. Now that's really biblical language. Jesus walks by, and you know what John the Baptist does? This big church word we call evangelism. I know who the Messiah is. I know who is the one to save you. I know the one who is God, who took on the flesh, and is going to rescue us. It's him. Behold the Lamb who will be slain. That's what he's saying. Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples that were with him heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. That's awesome. John the Baptist is like, hey, I was here for a time. I had a ministry for a season. But you know what's better than following me? You should follow him. Like, I'm here to baptize you. I'm here to preach repentance. I'm here to make a way for the Lord so people will recognize him when he gets here. He's here. Check out of my ministry. Don't follow me anymore. Follow him. And it says the two that were with John, because of John's word, because of John's actions, because of him revealing the Lamb of God, those two disciples made a decision follow Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him, and he said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. It was late at night. So John points to Jesus and these two disciples. My guess is going to be these two disciples are Andrew and Philip. They go to seek Jesus, and they're like, who who are you looking for? He goes, Jesus, we're looking for you. He says, well, come and see. Come spend time with me. Come get to know me. And they end up staying together in a house because it's late at night. One of the two brothers heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And he looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. I just want to point out a couple things. First of all, Peter was not looking for Jesus. Andrew was. Andrew was the disciple of John. His brother was the one pursuing the Lord. His brother was the one spending time with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, hey, behold the Lamb. And Andrew goes, I'm with that guy. And he goes and he spends some time with Jesus. And he goes, you know what I have to do? I have to tell people I love about this. The one that we're waiting for is here. And you know who really needs to be saved? Peter, my brother, old salty fisherman. So he runs to his brother and says, the one I, listen, you know, you know how I've been doing this thing? I've been following around John the Baptist. You know how I've been telling you about repentance and the kingdom of God? He's here here. Now, now the other thing I want to point out really quick is it says Andrew first found his brother. Why do you think that's important? Why do you think you'd phrase it that way? He first found his brother. Probably because there's a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth. Otherwise the scripture would have said he only found his brother or he just found his brother. It says he first found his brother. This is evangelism. 
This is, we know where the hope of the world is. We've seen him who was slain. We know who Jesus is. We've seen him. And this is what Andrew does. He goes to Peter and he says, listen, listen, listen. You've just got to come see him. You've just got to come investigate. My, my job here, my responsibility, the thing I want you to know is what I know. I want you to see what I've seen. And so Andrew finds his brother and says, I can take you to the place where I've seen Jesus. I can take you there. And you need to see Jesus with your own eyes. You need to make up your mind on your own. But listen, I can take you there because I found him. And so we talk about evangelism, we start to get afraid. And we start to think about standing out on street corners with bullhorns saying like, you know, turn or burn. Not what Andrew did. Andrew didn't go find Peter and be like, if you don't come with me, you're going to fry like bacon. He just came to him and he said, and listen, he didn't give him a track either. Right here. Here's a little thing I made. I don't have a comment. He says, listen, I know where Jesus is. I've seen him. I want you to come see him. And I want to give you the information. I'll go with you on the journey, but come and see. Come and see. All Andrew did was make an invitation. Would you be willing to come with me and see what I already know to be true? Would you be willing to come with me and experience the one that I know is the Messiah. Because I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was a subject of God's wrath, but now I'm a, his child. That's all because of this guy. Would you come and would you see? And all Andrew does is make an invitation, and Jesus does the rest. Because there's a gap in the scripture. Andrew and, and Peter meet Jesus. And at the first time they meet, Jesus says, hey, you're not Simon anymore, you're Peter. And we don't know exactly how much time goes by, but some time goes by, and then it seems as though Andrew and Peter go back to fishing. And they're out doing the fishing business, they're out doing their thing in Matthew chapter 4. This is sometime later, this is a gap in time. It says, and while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he, this is Jesus, and Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, minding their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. Andrew made an invitation. Jesus calls people. We make invitations. Jesus calls. All Andrew did is says, hey, I know where Jesus is. Will you, will you let me take you there? Would you come with me? Can I show you? Jesus is the one that says, follow me. Jesus is the one that calls. But the same is true for us. We introduce we invite, we share. Jesus calls. He alone can save. And so that means the pressure is off you and I of what happens with an invitation, which also means this. It means you never know what God will do with an invitation until you make it. My best guess would be is Andrew had no idea what would happen with Peter. In fact, my best guess would be is Peter, Andrew probably thought this isn't going to go so well but I at least want my brother to see Jesus. That's at least my responsibility to introduce him to Jesus. So he made an invitation. Jesus did the rest. That invitation was Peter's first step on the journey, which is now recorded for us in Scripture so it can be an inspiration to us. But one of the things that's really interesting is I got distracted again, and I started to go, well, you don't hear much about Andrew. I'm going to do a study on Andrew. So I began to study Andrew, and outside of this recording in Scripture, Andrew is only listed in three other contexts. Andrew is not mentioned very much. He doesn't get talked about a whole lot. He just kind of gets lumped into Peter and those with him. And I think maybe one of the reasons for that is that God wants to remind us that one of the greatest things Andrew did was point people to Jesus. One of the greatest things Andrew did is he just told other people where they could find hope, other people where they could find salvation, other people where they could find the Messiah. 
See, sometimes we have to look at Scripture. When Scripture says things over and over and over again, sometimes you go, man, this must be really important. But sometimes if Scripture just says something once, that must be really important as well. I think the reason Andrew doesn't get talked about a whole lot is because if you study Andrew's life, you go, here's a guy who believed that found people find people. That Andrew's whole life was about inviting people to come and see Jesus. Come and see. Come and follow. Come and see. Come and follow. Will you go with me? Can I show you? Can I introduce you to? And Jesus does the rest. So for me this week, this is just an incredible encouragement and a reminder that found people find people. That God uses his people to make invitations. That God uses his people to share their faith. That God uses our story to lead other people to Jesus who then takes care of the rest. Andrew made an invitation, and Jesus did the rest. And one of the things I was thinking about this week then is if every journey starts with the first step, then maybe God wants to use you, and maybe he wants to use me just to make invitations. Maybe we're the, the catalyst. Maybe we're the person that says, would you come? Could I invite? Maybe there are people that we invite so much that people say, I'll come once so you stop annoying me. But you never know what God will do with an invitation until you make it. God will never, you'll never know what God will do with your testimony until you share it. You'll never know what God will do when you share your faith until you do it. And then I begin to think about, look at where we are. Like we're ramping up for Good Friday and Easter, some of the biggest services we do every year. Could it be that God wants to use you so someone could take their first step on the journey? So here, here, here's what God put on my heart, and I just thought I would share this with you, is if every journey begins with the first step, and if Peter, his first step was an invitation from Andrew, could it be that there's somebody that you know that their first step would be inspired by your invitation, by you sharing your faith, or by you saying, would you just come with me so that you can come and see who Jesus is? And because I like practical application, here's four things I'm going to ask you to do. The first one is, is who do you know that you know needs to know Jesus? God has strategically placed people in your life who need you to share your faith with them. Who do you know that needs Jesus? Make a list. Write all those people down. If you need a notebook, get a notebook. Make a list. The second thing is then, how can you engage them? What could you invite them to? How could you share your faith with them? How could you share your testimony with them? And then make a plan. And so maybe one of the easiest things you could do is invite people to come to Good Friday or Easter with you. Make a plan to do that. When will you call them? How will you invite them? We've provided you with tools and resources. There's invitation cards in the back. Take them all. We'll make more. So who needs Jesus? How will you engage them? What will you invite them to? How will you present your faith to them? Make a plan. The third one then is pray. Now, now this one is in the middle because it's central, Okay. Pray in the beginning. Pray while you're making the list. Pray while you're making the plan. Pray while you pray, okay? Just pray. Pray for them. Pray for yourself. Ask for boldness. Ask for courage. Ask God to open their hearts, but pray. Who do you need Jesus? How will you engage them? Pray about it. The last one then is do something about it. Do something about it. Like you quickly have to go from God help them meet you to now I have to do something. It would have been a much different story, I think, if Andrew was like, and then he went and prayed for Peter, that one day Peter would meet Jesus, but he wasn't going to do anything about it. Do something. What I would encourage you to do is make all kinds of invitations this week. Call people, invite people, share your faith with people, open up the Word of God and share with them. When somebody says, Happy Easter, just tell them, man, that's not really what I celebrate. Can I, can I talk about that with you? Tell people, hey, if you come to church, you can sit with our family. We'll take up four rows together. Would you make an invite? And God just reminded me in such a significant way through the life of Peter. Found people, find people. And that every single journey has a first step. And you'll never know what God will do with that invitation until you make it. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning and we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you do love us and that you do care for us. We thank you for your word, which is true, which is powerful. God, that you would reveal yourself to us through your truth to us. God, I pray this morning as we respond to your word, God, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would just speak to us. 
God, that maybe even in our minds we're so thankful this morning. Maybe we just need to pause and thank you for the people that you put in our lives who led us to you. God, for the family members, for that friend, for that Sunday school teacher that slugged it out all those years when we misbehaved in their class. Lord, for all the children's ministry workers that that do all the hard work and wonder, for the youth leaders, God, for the church people who work so hard to make services happen each week. God, we thank you for the people that you've put into our lives that lead us to you. Praise you for that. God, I pray that you would give us the heart of Andrew. God, I pray that you would just give us the ability to say, would you come with? Could I show you? Could I introduce you to? Would you come and see? God, give us the faith and the confidence to trust you that you are a God that calls that you're the only one who saves, that you're the only one that can provide salvation and security and hope. And so, God, we trust you to do that. But, God, help us to step out with boldness. Help us to be willing to look foolish for the sake of the gospel, to be embarrassed by sharing our faith. But, God, I'm so motivated by the life of Peter. And I really believe that every single journey starts with the first step, and God will never know how you might use us until we step out in faith and begin to invite and share our faith and share our testimony with those around us. God, I pray that you would use us mightily. God, I pray that lives would be changed because of the invitations, because of the declarations of faith that are made. That we would grow spiritually and that lives would be changed by you, God, because you call people to salvation and we praise you for that. I pray that you just do a work in us. And I pray that you'd overwhelm us with people that we need to share with, overwhelm us with names on the list that we need to invite. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would go before us and even now begin to put an idea in these people's heads that maybe this, this Easter they'll come, this Good Friday they'll come, that maybe they would be open to receiving God's word because maybe they just want us to leave them alone. But God, I pray that you would work mightily in this way and that we would see lives changed because of you. And this would all be to your glory because you alone are good and you alone are worthy of praise. Jesus, we ask this in your name, the name of all names. Amen.